Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Joshua 2, verses 1 through 11. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And this is when the people in Israel, or the people of Israel, were not in the land yet. They had been slaves in Egypt after, uh, and we just read about the story of Joseph going down to Egypt. The brothers all ended up coming. They ended up staying until nobody remembered about Joseph anymore. And they started, that's what the book of Exodus is about, is how then the people become slaves in Egypt. And they stay for 400 years And then finally they cry out for God to deliver them. And he raises up Moses, who brings them out of Egypt. And they go, and before they make it to the promised land, they they chicken out. They trust their eyes instead of trusting God, and therefore uh, they don't get to go in the land immediately. Well, now, they stayed in the land for, or they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years, but it's time to go in. Before they go in, There's some spies sent in to the first town that they're going to have to uh, come up against, the town of Jericho. So that's where we pick up in Joshua chapter 2. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed today. That you'd help us to hear it, to understand it, and God, that it wouldn't just go to our minds, but to the very our hearts, the very core of our being, that we would be transformed, that we'd be changed evermore into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring the men who came to you and entered your house, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Turning then to uh, our New Testament lesson, we have one of the most famous of all the stories that Jesus told, known generally as the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It was on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. We've been looking at the book of James recently. We saw a few weeks ago where James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And, uh, and he's going to hit that again pretty hard today. But I want to tell you, before we even get into it, that this passage today and understanding what it really means is one of the central... Like, if you get this right, if you understand uh, what this passage is talking about, it, it is one of the central parts of the whole of the Bible, of the whole of the gospel, and what it means to live as a Christian. And I will tell you, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians and have no idea what this part means. Because it's really easy to misunderstand this, uh, this idea and go one side or the other and not stay in balance. And as you know, if you're on a tightrope, it doesn't matter if you fall off to the left or the right. What matters is that you keep your balance and stay straight. This is one of those passages that has caused people trouble over the years, we have uh, Martin Luther in the Protestant Reformation. As much as he got right, there was, there was a time where he was really bothered by this particular passage. You ready? Here's what it is. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Where James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. 
and that his faith and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even the even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The reason that this particular passage has caused people problems over the years, and the reason why Martin Luther in particular didn't like it, is he had been raised kind of with this understanding that what you need to do is do the right things. And if you do the right things, that then God will be somehow put in your debt. That if you do right, then he will owe you eternal life. That somehow we can earn, uh, earn our own salvation. And so he was working hard to do everything right. And then he starts reading books like Romans and Galatians. And he's reading these writings of Paul, and he sees, no, it's the righteous will live by faith. And he sees, especially, you know, you look in uh, somewhere like Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it's reading passages like this that Martin Luther said, aha, I get it now. It's, it's not anything I do. I can't earn it at all. It's all a free gift. It's not anything I do. I can't boast about my own works. It's not by works. All these works that we're doing, uh, trying to earn our way into God's favor, are dead. They can't save us at all. There's nothing we can do to add to what God has already done for us. It's all a free gift. And he, so there's, uh, now you have the two sides, right? On the one hand, you have how he had been before, where it's, we have to do and do and work hard and try to earn our way to God. This is what the Pharisees were doing, by the way. On the other hand, you have uh, what he sees later with Paul writing to these various churches and saying, it's all a free gift. God did everything for you. There's nothing that you can do to add to what he's already done for you. And here's where I say that there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who miss it one side or the other. There are a lot of people who will call themselves Christians and say, what you have to do is you've got to follow the rules really, really well. And if you do that, then God will accept you, and you'll get to go to heaven. On the other hand, and this is, that's usually not, by the way, a temptation for, uh, for us as evangelicals, because generally we hit pretty hard on the, it's, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. There's nothing we can do to add to that. So we're, here's where we generally fall down, is you say, <laughs> it's all by grace. It's all faith. There's nothing that we can do. Therefore, we don't do anything. All we need to do is make sure that we have the truth. You know, there's the one that says, what matters is what you do, it's not what you believe. The other says, no, it's what you believe, and who cares what you do. And what I want you to see today is that James and Paul are both saying the exact same thing, that it is completely a matter of believing the right thing, but not just believing it in your head where you can answer the right questions, but believing it so deeply that it actually changes who you are and you actually become a different person because of what you believe and therefore you are doing things that you would never have done before. And here's how that kind of works out. We hear, we hear about uh, 
the whole fruit thing a lot in the Bible and bearing fruit. And um, Jesus actually says, you'll know those true and false uh, teachers by their fruit, right? He says, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. And, uh, and here's something that's helpful for me. I remember being a kid and coming across uh, plastic fruit for the first time. Did not understand it at all. Why would you have plastic fruit? I mean, yeah, it looks nourishing from a distance, but there's no nutritional value there. Don't try it. No flavor. No good. Anyway. We all know plastic fruit and real fruit, very different. Even though they might appear the same on the outside. And uh, one of the things we find as we look at the Sermon on the Mount is even Jesus saying to his disciples, look, you can do the same things. You can have the same actions. And for some of, for some of you, it'll be real fruit, and for some of you, it'll be fake fruit. Because it's not about the doing of the actions. That's not what's important. What's important is your relationship with me. And if you're living through me, you will be actually doing good things, and you'll be bearing good fruit but apart from me, if you try to do these same good things, you'll be making, you know, it might look to the rest of the world like you're doing these good things. But you remember when he says, actually, to, uh, well, he says to the disciples in this passage, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we not uh, do all these good things, drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. I mean, these are amazing things they're doing in the name of Jesus. And you know what he says? I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. He takes these great things like driving out demons, performing miracles in the name of Jesus, and says those are evil deeds because they weren't done in and through me. And so we see there, there is uh, definitely a place for fruit to be in our life, but it cannot take the place of faith. Does that make sense? It has to come from it. It has to come from a living and trusting relationship with God. And if we don't have that, it doesn't matter what we do because Paul is right. There's nothing we can do to earn a good standing with God. Nothing. We have all fallen in sin, and Jesus is the only one who has done what it takes to bring us back to God. So it comes from there. It's all grace. It's all by faith. But that doesn't mean that as long as we know that, then we just live any old way. Because as James points out, just believing the right things, if they're not actually uh, changing who we are as people, shows that we don't really believe them. And that's the whole point. Is do we really believe these things to be true? Do we really trust God? I always talk about faith as, uh, you know, not just believing the right thing, but it's uh, F-A-I-T-H, following actively, I trust him. Following actively, I trust him. It's a living faith. And, Jesus, and James contrasts the living faith with the dead faith. And so he says, you know, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And the point is, of course, no. If you're not actually living what you believe, then you show you don't really believe it. And then he gives an example, which the example... He gives several here. Uh, the first one, though, is suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And we often will go to a passage like this and say, see, we should be helping the poor. That's not what this passage is about. 
it is understood that we should be helping the poor. That's where this illustration comes in. This is not one that's teaching you to help the poor. That's covered elsewhere in this letter. What this is is saying, okay, you guys already know that you should be caring for those who are in need. But there's a big difference between saying to someone, I care that you are in need, and someone who actually shows that they care that you're in need. And this is what we saw in Jesus in the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, where we have uh, the, the two people who come by, the priest and the Levite, who come by before the Samaritan does, and they see somebody who is... Uh, who has been beat up and who is hurting, laying there on the road, who obviously needs help. But instead of loving their neighbor as themselves, and other, instead of seeing that person on the road and saying, if I were there, if that were me, what would I want somebody passing by to do? Instead, as they're passing by, they say, ooh, better not get too close, I don't want to become unclean. And they pass by on the other side of the road. And they don't go in, and they don't help, and they don't get close. So what happens when they you know, get to the temple, and they're having their, uh, their test for the week, and somebody says, what is the greatest command? And they say, oh, I know this one, I know this one. You should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And they say, great job. You answered the question right. You show that you know that you're to love your neighbor as yourself, but you just walked past somebody who was in need. And you didn't love them as yourself. You loved yourself and not them. And that's the difference. Go ahead and read, by the way, read that again. Read the Good Samaritan uh, parable in Luke 10. And look at what the Samaritan does. He actually treats the person as though that were himself. It's like, this is how you would want to be treated. You want somebody to stop what they're doing and actually help in a way that is meaningful. And James says, you can say all you want to. Go in peace. Keep warm and well fed because I really want that for you. But if you actually have the means to help and you don't help, then your words are empty, and it shows that whatever you're claiming is untrue. You don't really care. You don't really believe. And he says, and so he uses this as an example of faith and says it doesn't matter what we answer with our mouths of saying what we believe. If we don't live in a way that actually expresses that, it's useless. It's dead. It's not the real fruit. It's the fake stuff, if there is any at all. So Paul actually says later, he says, uh, in Galatians, I think I put this on our bulletin cover for today. Yeah, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In other words, that we are living out what we actually believe to be the case. Now, James takes us a little bit farther, gives us another example of this. Uh, he says, some people say, oh, you know, some people have faith, some people have deeds. And he's like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. I dare you to try to show me your faith with no deeds. There's no such thing. One of the famous lines, by the way, that people have used over the years is, yes, we are saved uh, through faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by a transformation of life that leads to a different way of living. So here's another example he gives. Uh, He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. I mean, that's kind of a big deal <laughs> to believe that there is one God, especially for their culture where you know, it wasn't a difference of, yeah, do you believe that there is a God or not? It was, do you believe there's one God or there are lots of different gods? But for the, uh, the Jewish Israelite people, there was, you know, every day they're reciting the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? 
And he says, so you say that every day and you claim to believe it. And that's a wonderful thing because it's absolutely true. But if you think that that's enough, it's just saying that that's true, or even believing that that's true. Let me tell you, you know who else believes that's true? Demons believe that's true. They know that there's only one God. They know what the real situation is. But here's the thing. They're not letting that actually change how they operate. They are rebelling against instead of trusting in. And so just saying that you believe that there's one God, that's step one. But the real question is, but do you actually trust him and therefore live with and for him? And then he continues, gives two more examples. One of Abraham and one of Rahab. You can't get two more different people from the Old Testament. One, you have the father of all the, uh, all the Jewish people. Then you have Rahab, who wasn't even Jewish. One, you have this older man. One, you have a younger woman. One, you have the guy who is the example of what it looks like to live with God and trust him in everything. And the other, you have a prostitute. And you go, how can you be holding both of these up, <laughs> saying that both of them were, uh, were living by faith? That's exactly what he does. They were both considered righteous for what they did. And here again, he's showing that it is uh, not just a matter of them having the right answers to the questions, but that transforming their hearts in such a way that they lived differently. And so we see that they were people who are walking with God by what they did. That's what we're seeing here. Uh, before we get into that, Ephesians 2, I told you 8 and 9, says, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It is the gift of her. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul says in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, there is definitely an order that this happens. But these can't be separated. And that's the illustration then that, um, that James gives us with Abraham and Rahab. For Abraham, he shows that he is living, trusting God in everything, when God calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And instead of Abraham saying, yeah, 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 I believe that that would, you know, if, if I were to do that, that you would make everything okay somehow, and we'll just, we'll call it good. I believe, yeah, there's no reason to actually go through with the whole killing him thing, is there? So he doesn't really believe. But it's when God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son you love, take Isaac, and I want you to take him up to the mountain and I want you to kill him. And Abraham, if he didn't trust God, would say, "Eh, I don't think so. But instead, he takes him and he does exactly what God says to do. And it's then that God stops the knife and says, no, I will provide. And so he James says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. He's showing that through what he's doing, that he really does believe God. This, by the way, is separated by many chapters in the Old Testament. Back in Genesis 15 is where God, yeah, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's at that point that it says he really does trust God. He believes in him. But it's many years later when it's really put to the test. And he's actually living this out. And you see that, yes, he really has been trusting God uh, for real and living with him for real. So what about Rahab? Well, we just read about Rahab, and uh, it says, was she not 
considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab didn't know much about God. She didn't have all the answers to everything. And yet, it says she was considered righteous for what she did because she was living out at least what she knew. She had heard rumors of this God who was the one true God. And she had heard how great and powerful he was. And she knew that he had given these people this land that she was currently living in. Now, she could have done a couple things here. She could have uh, tried to spread the word, rally the troops. We've got to really work hard to fight off this army because we're not just fighting against an army. We're fighting against a God. But instead, what does she do? She betrays her own people and risks her own life. When they come to her and the king sends his men to her and say, where are the spies that have come to your house? If they find out she's lying when she's covering for them, do you think they're going to say, okay, well, next time, don't do that? (laughs) There will be no next time. She is risking her life because she believes in this God who has given these people this land. And because she believes it, she's living it out through what she's doing. That doesn't mean she's got everything right yet. But she is actually living out what she believes. And it says, when you do that, when you show that you don't just have the answers up here, that you haven't just heard the message, but you've actually let it change the way you view the whole world, and so therefore it changes the way that you act in it, in all your relationships with God, with other people, with creation itself. When it really begins to change who you are, and you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, everything is different. And therefore, you will have, these, um, you will have the deeds that accompany a living faith. The fruit will come from this. So, who is right? Paul or James? I hope you see by now that they're both saying the exact same thing. We are not saved at all by what we do. There's nothing we can do to add to what Jesus has already done. He did it all. But, if we really believe Hang on. Let me back up just a second. Let me give one other example of a way that would live this out in ways that many of us don't. Jesus gives several examples of this in the Sermon on the Mount. One of them is that we shouldn't worry, right? Don't worry. That's great for a command, isn't it? Because the first thing you start doing is worrying about how to not worry. <laughs> but that's not what he says to do. How is it that you're to not worry? By continually looking to God, thinking about who he is and what he does. And you say, if I believe that God really cares for me, more than he cares for the birds, more than he cares for the flowers, which you can see how he's taking care of the birds, you see how he's taking care of the flowers, and Jesus says, look at this, you of little faith. <laughs> if that's how he takes care of these things, will he not much more take care of you? Will he not? And when we think about that, what reason do we have to worry? And so this is how this works. This is how this gets lived out in our lives. When we say, do we really believe these things to be true about who God is and how he's working uh, in us and through us and with us in everything? Do we really believe that God loves us, that he cares for us, and that, uh, that he has sent Jesus who has died for us, showing the extent of that love for us? If we really believe this, we will live different lives. That is what Paul is saying. 
all by grace, all through faith. And as he and James are both saying, but don't be fooled. Don't hear uh, that, oh, well, there are things we've got to do, so now we're going to go out and do them apart from Jesus. Because we do not want to hear one day Jesus say to us, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. No matter how many people on earth we've fooled, he won't be fooled. Let us live in faith, following actively. I trust him. Lives that are changed by what we believe as we continually focus on God and on Jesus and let him change how we live. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.